This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. This is episode 14, um, and I'm going to do a little listener Q&A off the cuff. Um, I'm on my way home just from seeing some goats for a hoof trim and have a little bit of time, so... I appreciate, I always appreciate the questions that come in from listeners. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or things you'd like me to address, you can email me at goat.cara at gmail.com. That's G-O-A-T-D-O-C-C-A-R-A at gmail.com. Um, there's a few there's a few questions like if I haven't gotten to your question yet don't stress out about it I've got it there in my email I like never delete emails I have an out of control email inbox because I'm always afraid I'm going to delete something and then want it um, some things are a little bit easier for me to talk about a little bit off the cuff in the truck um, and some things I feel like I should do a little bit of preparation and like make an outline to help organize my thoughts and make it a more useful episode for you uh, before I just start to ramble on about it in the truck. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and talk about a more recent email question that I got from a listener. Uh, as always, this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary vet. And I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR veterinary client patient relationship with your local vet. So... This was a listener question, and this is this episode is going to be probably a little bit less based in scientific fact than opinion. Uh, so that's there's another little bit of a disclaimer there. Is this is a very like opinion based episode because the question is kind of asking what my opinion is about these things. Uh, I, I think I'll just read the read the question from the email uh, and I hope that's okay with the listener um, there's I'll read the excerpt that has the the question about in it uh, I'm new to the goat world and animal husbandry in general and I'm finally at a point in my life where I have the time and infrastructure to begin raising dairy goats uh, which has been a dream of mine since before moving there are plenty of resources available explaining what to look for in an adult goat and walking through the buying process, but not much that I can find explaining how to establish a new herd. Specifically, I'm interested in the pros and cons of buying kids versus adults and whether it's better to buy them all from a single herd or buy from different sources, biosecurity versus biodiversity. Finally, I know that there are various opinions surrounding purebred versus grade, registered versus not and I'm interested to know yours 
uh, this listener also mentioned that they're interested in sanins. Uh, I, I can't tell you too much about sanins uh, <laughs> as far as as bloodlines and genetics and things like that. But I'll, I'm going to try to answer the other the other questions here, and I I think I'll just start by kind of explaining how I I don't think I explained this yet in an episode how my husband and I got into goats. Because we didn't start doing what we're doing now. Uh, My husband is full-time goat dairy farmer at this point in his life. Uh, This year we milked about 40 does. He has been making probably an average of 150 pounds of cheese a week. Uh, We've had the equivalent of probably one and a half employees this year. Uh, at various times, which is a whole other thing of running that business, which is a challenge. Um, but basically, that's his livelihood now. The the goats pay for themselves, and they they pay the bills. And when I was in vet school, he was also doing that. And and like in the winter, when we have the dry period, he picks up other stuff for that couple of months because he would get bored and go crazy otherwise. But largely, his livelihood is from the farm. Uh, nobody's getting rich from goat cheese, but we managed to keep the power on. <laughs> so, uh, how we got into goats was that we moved to this property that we live at in southern Maine, and uh, part of the reason that that property, I think, we ended up there was that there was a barn and there was a few acres of land and there was enough room for me to bring my horse there to live with us with a little bit of work and modification. So I, I didn't grow up with goats, I grew up with horses. Uh, when I was about 12, my parents bought me my horse, at, at that time the only horse I've ever owned. Uh, and after, like we, I was pretty seriously into show jumping uh, with him. He was an off-track thoroughbred and this is just he was some people will say that the a certain animal was their heart animal and he was my heart horse uh he he after you know all through about sixth grade through high school i competed with him pretty seriously throughout new england in jumper shows and we had a really good time doing that uh when i went to undergrad Uh, He basically went into retirement, and he kind of boarded with different places uh, around central Maine where I grew up and basically had it pretty cushy for a while. I lived with a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, for several years, and uh, then when I got out of undergrad and we moved to this property that we live at currently, uh, we we were able to bring him to live with us and I was very excited about that because I'd never had the opportunity to do that with him and it's very it's different to to board your horse than to live with your horse and it's it's nice you know either either way has its pros and cons but I I enjoyed being able to live with him uh, at the at my property the the thing that got us into goats, so I, why I spent all that time talking about horses, um, 
was that horses and goats are herd animals. So my horse, Petey, uh, I didn't want him to be by himself, but I definitely wasn't interested in getting another horse and the property. It would have been cozy for two horses for sure. And I, I just knew I didn't want to get another horse. This was my horse and I wanted him to, that to be it, but I didn't want him to be by myself. So my husband and I very easily agreed, okay, well, we'll get a goat. And I don't, I don't know. I guess it, it's some kind of testament to how we tend to agree on some things, at least very quickly and easily. Uh, we won in the fall when we had like put up the pasture, put up the fence because my horse would like jump over things. So we put up this five foot tall woven wire fence, and that was done. And we renovated the barn a little bit and built a stall for him. And that was all set to go. And then he came down to our place, and it was October-ish, I believe, when he when he arrived. And in Maine, October is about the time when the the kind of end of season big agricultural fair happens, and it's about an hour away from us. It's called the Freiburg Fair, and I've been going to the Freiburg Fair fairly regularly since at some point in like elementary school or junior high it's kind of a tradition and it's a good time so my husband and I said right we're going to the Freiburg Fair and we're going to look at the goats and we're going to get a goat and we didn't we didn't know anything about goats at the time and I don't, it's like this like hive mind thing between us. We were like, okay, what kind of goat do you want to get? And both of us just knew we wanted the kind with the, with the floppy ears and the big Roman nose. So I don't even know if we knew what breed of goat that was. I might've like Googled it on the way up. Even, you know what? I probably didn't even, because I don't even think like iPhones were a thing back then. So anyway, we went to the, we went to the fair and we made a point to look at all the goats and we found the Nubians and we saw a sign that had does for sale, dolings for sale. And we talked with the owner and she had a lot of blue ribbons and we ended up giving her a deposit for one of her dolings from that spring. And that person ended up being kind of our goat mentor for the first few several years of goat ownership for us uh so that that goat we we didn't bring her home right from the fair she stayed at the fair for the rest of the time and then we went up and picked her up later on and she came home and she absolutely bonded with pd and they, you know, Petey was always a little bit of a, a pasture boss and kind of could be a little bit of a bully to the other horses, but he let her do whatever she wanted. She chewed his forelock off as high as she could reach. She chewed his tail off as high as she could reach. They, you know, they just hung out and there. I would go for a trail ride and she would follow us like in a spastic way where she would like get distracted by something and go off and wander into the woods and start eating something. And we'd continue down the trail and then she would realize that she was by herself and totally freak out. And we'd have to go back and collect her. But 
yeah, she she was, you know, they they were buddies. The, that thing about horses and goats bonding is totally totally a thing. So we had them together for about a year, and then PD suddenly passed away, and the goat who we named Grace uh, was quite distraught, and so we immediately had to get another goat. It was the, you know, the logical thing to do. They cannot be by themselves. They're herd animals. So we immediately contacted the breeder to get another goat and see what she had available. And she had another, a doe a little bit younger than Grace at that time. So at that time, Grace was like a year and a half old. Um, 18 to 20 months old. And we got bought another doe we brought grace up there so that she wouldn't be alone immediately and uh then they stayed up there i don't know for a week or so together and also at that point i was an emotional wreck from losing my horse and the the breeder asked do you want them bred while they're up here because it was the fall and my husband was like yeah let's do it so they got bred and then they both came back. So then we had two goats. Uh, and then the, things kind of spiraled out of control from there as far as the goat thing goes. I uh, was fortunate enough to go and spend a weekend with the breeder to learn about kidding before Grace was due. And then actually we brought Grace up to have her kid for the first time at the breeders so there was someone experienced there um to to know what to do and she had a giant single buck her first time it was a little bit traumatic for her so we uh we were glad we did that yeah, so that's that's kind of the story. That same year after Grace kitted, we also bought another doe and milk from the same breeder and a doling from the same breeder, so different different uh, maternal line from the same breeder. And uh, yeah, so like I said, I didn't. I I think I got really lucky. Uh, just happening to see that sign that said does for sale and happening to talk with that breeder at the Freiburg Fair that time um, because she's been raising goats since like since probably before I was born or at least since I was very young and she raises beautiful animals and continues to do so with her daughter um but you know she is she is very knowledgeable about all these things and she immediately started talking to me about biosecurity and CAE and you know making sure you have these healthy animals and like i said i had no idea and at that time I I hadn't been to vet school. I had no vet experience at all. Uh, I was teaching art at the elementary school level. And, uh, yeah, like, I don't don't know if I've mentioned on this podcast before, uh, but my undergrad is from Massachusetts College of Art, and I was a glass major, so pretty fine arts-oriented background. Um, and then I went and taught art for several years in Southern Maine before this whole goat thing kind of inspired me to go to vet school. 
but I can tell that story another time. So yeah, I got really lucky just happening to serendipitously talk with this woman who had fortunately had healthy animals and you know was willing and able to share her experience and knowledge with me. I I didn't know much about you know what we were doing what we were getting into with breeding I didn't know much about what we were doing and getting into with making cheese Uh, at one point I probably that same winter after we bred those does um, I went up to her place to learn how to make some simple cheeses and we did that and then that that summer so the the new dough did not get successfully bred that year and then grace did and we also like i said we bought another dough and milk and we bought a dough kid and uh that so that summer we had two goats and milk and we were milking them and like it's ridiculous like two good producing goats like two gallons of milk a day like that's that's what I like to expect out of my Nubians like an average of a gallon a day is I'm happy with that but like what do you do with two gallons of milk a day so we started to make cheese and share it with family and friends and then it spiraled out of control and we got our dairy license that same summer in 2009 and we started keeping all our doe kids and the rest is history but so that's kind of how I fell into the world of uh of dairy goats and like I said I think I got really lucky because now in my experience since then um you know I see a lot of people who maybe like impulse buy some kids at an auction and have you know there's just many different issues that can happen to animals and it's hard it's much easier to to know what you're getting into if you have some kind of history on them um yeah so that was a little bit of a tangent but to to give an idea of where what my experience was with establishing a herd it was not intentional that we were establishing a herd um I, you know, I said, like, my background's in fine arts, but I've always been very science-oriented. I always liked science. I always liked genetics. Um, As we started to grow our herd and keep our doe kids and um, kind of expand our business, at one point, you know, we were like, okay, I think, I can't remember how many does we had that we wanted to breed when we were like, okay, we're going to buy a buck. And it was kind of important to me at that time that, we bought a buck that was not closely genetically related to any of our does because I do think there's enough diversity out there in the genetics that you you can do that. You don't need to necessarily keep your animals closely related genetically. Some people really like to line breed. I honestly don't have a lot of experience with it, but... I should, I should get somebody on here who likes that and can talk about it in a more intelligent way than I can. Um, but I was like, well, we've gotten all of our 
kind of base foundation of genetics from this one herd. Let's see what else is out there. And we went to another herd to buy our first buck. And we also bought a couple of does from that herd. Um, so we bought those does as adults. So at this point, we had purchased both adult animals and young stock, whether like the doe kid we bought from our, our mentor was like young, still on the bottle. That wasn't a big deal for us because we were bottle feeding Grace's baby too. Um, and we had purchased, you know, a, a couple of, we bought Grace when she was kind of a juvenile. She was at puberty, like six or eight months old. And then, you know, we had bought several adult animals and that, that was kind of a not an ever an issue for me I didn't it didn't really cross my mind to be like oh I really want a a young a kid versus an adult um it's very different from something like a puppy uh goats maybe tend to have less baggage as far as behavior and things like that than a dog for example or a cat um they if you are getting an animal that, for example, was bottle-raised versus dam-raised, you may see a significant difference in how human-oriented and how friendly they are, but they tend to kind of re... Uh, what's the word? Uh, like, transfer that... Uh, idea of whose mom and who the food comes from pretty easily if they're like a bottle raised baby um i also don't have a ton of experience with damn raised kids uh, we we bottle raise all our kids because we need them to be people oriented uh and we don't have time with the number of kids we raise to like if we damn raise them all it would be a pretty significant time commitment to handle them all enough that they were really as friendly as our bottle kids are but anyway so kids versus adults um i'm gonna back up a little bit in like the broader picture just from more a more objective perspective now at this point not so much about my personal story but um like what if you're looking for a goat what is the advantage of getting a mature animal versus a kid um, I mean, well, I guess I'll start with like a mature adult animal. If it has been raised well and appropriately, you know what you're getting. Uh, you, you may, you, it may be harder to get like a really top quality uh, animal that's a mature animal because like often people who raise the animals that clean up in the show ring are maybe a little less likely to sell the animals that clean up in the show ring because they want them to stay in their herd. <clears throat> You're probably going to have a better chance of getting the offspring of like a grand champion animal than you are going to be of actually purchasing that grand champion animal. Never say never, but you know that's that tends to be the way. Like if a if a champion doe has triplets and she has two does and a buck, then chances are that at least one of those kids is going to be for sale. Uh, so looking, what are you looking for in an adult? Like a pro of getting an adult goat is you have a pretty good idea of what you're getting. Um, 
cons of getting an adult goat maybe you're probably going to pay a little bit more if that's I don't know that that's necessarily a con in my mind like I, I kind of believe that you get what you pay for so if you have this beautiful animal you're going to pay more for it but you get what you pay for if you have a like a mediocre animal and you're you know you're not going to pay as much for it but you know what you're getting a young a kid especially can be a little bit of a gamble uh, you definitely can look at the parents and look at the genetics and say what what did their parents do and then extrapolate from there but you certainly can't always 100% count on that um, I haven't looked in depth at Grace's pedigree uh, but like I said that that herd has some absolutely beautiful animals that have been champions winning at many shows blah 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 the whole thing and Grace was she was a, an okay goat she I mean she was she had passed away before we ever did our first linear appraisal but she she was probably a good goat I remember the linear appraiser who came to our herd asked me about the first doe that I presented her and she knew it was our first time she spent a lot of time with us it was really helpful but she said do you think that this doe is a good a good goat and I said yes and she said I do too and then she said do you think this goat is a very good goat and I said yes and she said I do too and she said do you think this goat is an excellent goat and I said well it's probably pushing it a little bit so on that like acceptable good very good excellent scale grace was like a, a good to acceptable goat she had she didn't have a great mammary she had a wicked underbite that my husband absolutely loved and continues to love when an underbite pops up in our herd and it makes me just shake my head um but yeah so uh, she did not, we had no way of knowing that when, when we looked at her when she was about six months old. She was all clipped up. She did not have an underbite. She, you know, we didn't know what her memory was going to look like because she's a little dry six-month-old doe kid. Um, I, I expect that people who have done this for longer than me are better at assessing young stock and saying what their potential is. But a lot of that stuff is hard to assess. Um, you know, how do you, how do you know exactly what that udder is going to look like before it's there and producing? I don't know. Maybe someone can volunteer to discuss that with me on an episode sometime I don't know I'd, I'd love to learn that's something I certainly could learn more about um so kids versus adults um an advantage as a, as a new person to raising goats I would like I my advice to people who are new to raising goats would be to th really think about getting adult animals because and getting them from a herd that you see the animals and you have an idea what they look like as a group and like maybe f like go to some shows and see what animals look like compared to each other 
just to help give you an idea of what these animals should look like, what their potential is, because what I have seen, unfortunately, and I talked about this a little bit in the Goat Kid Nutrition episode, is that uh, inexperienced owners who get goat kids tend to not feed them enough. And then those animals are not given what they need to meet their best potential throughout that vital first year of growth. And I'm certainly not saying by any stretch of the imagination that that is like the norm, but I've run into it more than I expected to in practice that the animals tend to not be fed adequately and then they do not grow appropriately and it's going to affect them for their whole life. So that can be an advantage of getting an adult versus a kid and knowing what they should look like when they're when they're big. Um, another advantage of the whole thing is like if you think you're really going to do dairy stuff like you are going to have less of a weight before you are going to jump into all that. However, um, the it it may be a good thing to wait if you're if you're still learning about basic husbandry of those animals. It is not necessarily a bad thing to hold on a second and you know, see what the basic needs of those animals are before you start to deal with the needs of pregnant and lactating animals. Uh, whether it is better to buy them from a single herd or from different sources. So by far and away, I, I, it, this is like, this is like buying a, a puppy. It's like if you're gonna buy a purebred animal, then find a breeder that you feel confident in and that you trust and you feel like they're knowledgeable and that their animals look good. Like they should be happy to show you their animals. This is the same thing with puppies. You know, like there are excellent breeders out there and there are not so excellent breeders out there. Um, your your goat breeders who like they should want to know their biosecurity status they should be invested in the health of their animals um the 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 number one thing i i talk with people about about establishing even just getting pets like make sure that those animals are healthy animals and go through a reputable person and you're not going to go to an auction and pay 20 bucks for a goat kid and know anything about that goat kid you might get lucky you you know you might it might be a kid from a a herd that's a healthy herd Um, but I've more often seen the other end of the spectrum where it's some issue or like I saw some kids this spring that weren't even you know not even four months old yet and one of them already had an abscess on her that we cultured and came back as a CL abscess so that's a super bummer like that's like 
you know, that you get these animals with the intention of them being pets, for example, like those those goats were going to be, or, you know, companions and expecting them to have a lifespan of 12 pets, like 12 to 14 years. They've got a cushy life. They're going to live that long. And then, you know, suddenly you're like, this pet now has a, a incurable and contagious disease that's going to be in your farm environment for months to years. So it's going to put other animals at risk. And like that, that sucks. That's, it, it's no, it's a big bummer. Um, so, and that's really hard as a vet. That's really hard to have that discussion with people who don't know. So that like, like I said, I, now you when I when I talk about it I'm just I'm so fortunate that I happened to be like we're gonna go to the fair we're gonna get the goat with the most blue ribbons and that happened to be a person who takes her herd health very seriously um yeah so biosecurity like number one thing if they don't test or if they say they test they don't want to share the results with you or you if you want the animals tested and they are shady about it those are all red flags and like you know there's plenty of healthy really nice goats out there you're like you're probably gonna pay a little bit more for them but like people come in and they tell me like oh i've spent twenty five hundred dollars on this doodle puppy and i'm like okay you know like it, you're you're investing in a healthy animal um, is is the hope if you if you're caring about that animal then you know you want to have a long you want it to have a long healthy life so yeah um, that's biosecurity number number one thing biodiversity like I mentioned when we bought our first buck we bought it from a different herd um, there's some really useful tools from the American Dairy Goat Association, like the ADGA Genetics site, where you can plan pedigrees and look at inbreeding and look at who the major contributors are to, to the, the inbreeding coefficient of a certain animal or a planned breeding. And that stuff's, like, that stuff's really helpful, I find. Um, like I said, I tend to outcross my animals and go for genetic diversity, but I'm also really still like playing around with like what I can get my animals to do and what I can get them to look like. We've got animals that are like all over the place with, you know, we don't do definitely not have like a, a uniform udder in our herd, which is now that I'm out of school and doing a lot of AI, like that's what, that's what I'm going for now over the next, however many years we end up raising goats. I'd like to really fine tune what our what our herd looks like and make it better and build a better goat uh, so bio biodiversity there you can certainly get biodiversity through advanced reproductive techniques um, yeah so that that can be important but my like of those two things to me exponentially biosecurity is so much more important than biodiversity um breeders who are breeding herds of animals like they gotta have some extent of biodiversity you, you can't i mean i guess you can like breed back 
you know, the back to the dam and, you know, father to daughter and all those things. I mean, I get uncomfortable when talking about it because, like I said, I have little experience with it. Um, and I tend to avoid it. It's just, you know, there's enough nice animals out there that you don't, you shouldn't have to do that. You may have to invest, you may have to travel, you may have to ship semen, but, you know, genetic diversity is good. So I'm going to get to the last part of the question now, um, which was to address, I'm going back to the email. Finally, I know that there are various opinions surrounding purebred versus grade versus registered versus not, and I'm interested to know yours. So, at the risk of opening a can of worms, uh, the listener who wrote in and said that there are various opinions about these things certainly is correct in that there are various opinions about these things, and there are definitely very strong opinions about these things. Uh, purebred versus American versus grade versus experimental, etc. And this has to do with how your animal's lineage, pedigree, ancestry is recorded and whether that matters to you at all. So I'm most familiar with American Dairy Goat Association. That's what my animals are registered to. And that's, so I can't, I can't speak too much to other herd registries that are out there. And I mean, like, I guess anybody can make a herd registry if they wanted to, uh, or a, a, yeah, any kind of breed animal registry, if you've got the time and money and organizational know-how to do that, there's not a lot stopping you. And if you can, especially if you get people to be like, I'm going to start this breed registry and you're going to pay me money to put your animals in it, there you go. And you can and you can do it. Um, the American Dairy Goat Association is a pretty like big and well known, and there's lots of goats registered to it. So and it tends to be what what people tend to use. And it it can be just that like you got these goats and they were registered to that registry, and that's what you're sticking with. It's not a, a huge deal. Um, which one it is, at least in my opinion. There are certain herd registries that are like considered acceptable for permanent identification. So if you listen to the goat ID episode and you remember that uh, permanent identification for goats consists of a tattoo, a unique individual tattoo, and, and a valid breed registry certificate there are certain breeds there are certain registries that are accepted by uh like the federal government basically for like scrapey identification for transporting animals across state lines blah 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 you can go listen to that episode i can't remember it was like episode at the beginning two or four or somewhere around there 
Um, so that's that's a good reason to register your animals. Otherwise, they need to be tagged or tattooed with an aphis tattoo. Blah blah blah. Um, I think I think registering your animals is very beneficial uh, because there are just so many resources that are available through the herd registry. People complain about like American Dairy Goat Association members complain a lot about stuff with ADGA, like oh they should do this, they should do that, but they have some really like excellent programs and so many so much data is available on animals that are registered to the herd registry the animal registry like it's just you know there's so much info out there that you can just access either you don't have to be a member you can go to adgagenetics.com and you can search for an individual animal and then you can look up that animal's pedigree if it's ever had a linear appraisal that information is there if it's ever been on milk test that information is there if it's had show one its legs and shows if it's gotten milk stars if it's superior genetics like all of that stuff is there and you can just go look it up and you don't have to keep track of it personally and it's there for for the public to see so that is all like super valuable in my opinion and a good reason to register your animals. Um, I guess we're opening a can of worms with this gets into the wormy part is people who want to argue about the quality of an animal, whether it's grade or American or purebred. And I, I who who am I to judge? Um, like certainly there's breed standards and this is, I mean, you can have the same argument about, about dogs, about people's pet dogs. Like is, what is a purebred? What, you know, there, it has to do with your opinion on what consists, what, what makes a breed a breed and what do you think the integrity of that breed should be? And I'll be honest, my husband and I are a little bit of purebred snobs. We have, I mean, we have American Nubians and purebred Nubians, and we have purebred dogs, um, and it's, I, at the risk of opening, you know, at the risk of ruffling some feathers now that I've opened this can of worms, like, things like... To give an analogy, dog breeds like golden doodles, you know, when I, 10, 20 years ago, that would have been a mutt. But now it's a designer breed, and instead of a mutt, it is $2,500. So I, we, I have seen similar things in the dairy goat world. Uh, Again, not I'm not passing judgment on these animals or the quality of these animals. Like I've met some really nice golden doodles. They're they're not for me. I don't I I like my dogs with less hair than that. But they certainly like what's what's their purpose? Their purpose is to be a pet and to be a companion. And some of them have like the best of a golden retriever and the best of a poodle, and they're combined together, and that's great. And that's it's a great pet, so no no issue there. But it's it's interesting that people can take 
two completely different breeds where a golden retriever is a breed with some provenance and history and was bred for a certain purpose originally and a labrador or a poodle was bred with a completely different history and purpose and then we bred them and now all of a sudden we decide that this is a breed i guess it depends on what your definition of a breed is so that that is something to consider in the in the goat world i could argue that the the current thing of mini breeds is is similar to the doodle craze um, like many Nubians, uh, and the American Dairy Goat Association has not really accepted many breeds as a breed to be included in their breed registry as of now. Uh, when I was at the ADGA convention in 2016, um, I heard that the many Nubian people were making a a plea to have many Nubians accepted as a, a breed to the, the registry. And it's kind of the same thing. Like, you know, send me, an, if you're a mini Nubian person, send me an email and change my mind. Because from my understanding, you're taking a, a Nubian and usually a Nigerian dwarf and you're breeding them together to create a smaller stature Nubian and then you are breeding back Nubians to give them more of Nubian characteristics because you want them smaller than they are because they're big goats. They are big goats and they're pushy and loud sometimes. But the original breed standard for Nubians dictated that they are a certain minimum height. So that, that is what it is. Uh, you, uh, maybe maybe you can make the argument that it's arbitrary that they are that height, but, but you know, I don't I don't know where everybody's going to draw the line somewhere different. I guess. Um. So yeah, re re registering I think is a good thing because you have a record of the animals, you have identification for the animals. It's, a, you know, I think it's a, a valuable thing for every individual animal to be registered. The argument about purebred, American, recorded grade, experimental is a whole nother ball game right there. And... It has to do with what you're, what you're, what are you looking for from your goats? Are you, do you feel strongly about maintaining the integrity of a particular breed and that breed's history and making building a better goat within the confines of that breed standard, or are you interested in? being experimental and crossing breeds together in order to maximize milk production or whatever whatever the characteristic you're looking for um, what how can you do that so i guess to kind of summarize my thoughts about that last bit of the question there about registered versus not purebred versus grade versus whatever you have um 
registered versus not like is as to me is a very concrete thing like either your animals are registered and they have a, a recording of their pedigree and ancestry and depending on what breed registry your animals are registered to you may have a wealth of resources and information at your fingertips that you can access and understand how it relates to your individual animals so i am definitely pro registering goats because of those advantages yes you have to make an investment if you're better than me about like registering your kids early like for adga at least like it's cheaper to register your kids right off the bat and probably easier on your organizational system but I'm pretty bad about it so I tend to not get to it till they're older and then it costs me more money um I should really like crack down on that but um yes you have to make an investment in that because somehow those those resources do have to be paid for but I I think that investment is worth it so I am pro registering goats for grade versus purebred versus American versus whatever, um, I don't have I, I don't have a strong opinion there. I think it all depends on what you think the quality of the animal is, what you're looking to do with those animals, and um, I I do think that there is some value in maintaining the integrity of a breed um you know they're they're historical they've been around for a while and i i think that's that's important and uh i i appreciate maintaining that so that's my that's my deal on that. I don't believe that being a purebred animal versus a grade animal makes any one animal more valuable than the other. Uh, you certainly can have a purebred animal that is junk and is going to not appraise well and not be a nice specimen of what a, a goat should be, like a dairy goat should be, for example. Or you can have a goat that is a grade goat that is making a ton of milk and a beautiful animal and exactly what you would want a goat to be and that's like looking at looking at your breed standards looking at like the for dairy goats the adga linear appraisal handbook and what like the, the what makes a good goat a good goat is very like there's reasons behind it it's not just arbitrary oh we think this looks pretty there's there's reasons for certain physical characteristics being desirable i think i posted in the show notes on one of the episodes a a video oh that was the body condition scoring video pretty sure there might be a video out there of um like going through the linear appraisal characteristics but I'm not sure I'll have to check into that but there's definitely the LA handbook which is useful and um if you ever get a chance to go to an ADGA convention and they're doing uh LA workshops like it's it's super helpful and super interesting and you get to like compare goats to each other um when I was when I was there a few years ago I went to part of that before I had to leave and then it and it was very very helpful and interesting so the quality of the goat is is not dictated by whether it 
has American in front of its name in or purebred or whatever. Um, I'll probably have another episode where I could talk about like how you can like breed quote unquote breed up your goats to American status for all the breeds except La Mancha's. I think you can still get them into the purebred um, herd book. There's a whole procedure for that. Um, but I guess I, I will say that, you know, the, the thing about breed integrity, it means something to me, at least. I think it means different things to different people. I looked up the, the uh, definition of breed just to, like, you know, have some kind of objective statement on like what is a breed what does that even mean so the definition that's coming up on google is a stock of animals or plants within a species having a distinctive appearance and typically having been developed by deliberate selection so that can that can be you know that very differently interpreted by whoever's reading it i would probably make the argument that something like a doodle whatever kind of doodle it is, golden doodle, labradoodle, cockapoo, whatever, is not really a breed. It's a hybrid. It's, you know, by that definition, I, I typically having been developed by deliberate selection, to me, interpreting that something like that is uh, questionable something like a mini Nubian you know you're maybe you're getting there I know the mini Nubian people have like their F1 F2 generations and you're when you're getting out to like your F5 and beyond there that's has been established and maintained deliberately for a number of generations I think historically, maybe in some of the herd books, like it was like 10 generations that had to be within that breed standard before uh, they were accepted into the purebred herd book before the herd books were closed. But um, so like, I I mean, I think most of the the mini breeds haven't made it there yet. Um, And I think I do worry that a lot of the mini breeds are kind of falling trapped into the are falling prey to the same thing as what's happening with doodles in the dog world where it's just like oh we're gonna put these two together and call it something cute and then it's a thing where in my opinion and i may get some angry email or something about this in my opinion that's not a breed it's it does not have the provenance the history behind it the careful and deliberate selection of animals for certain characteristics deliberate selection over a number of generations in order for it to be a breed yet 20 years down the road we might be in a different different place but for for the moment that's that's my opinion on that um i think that wraps it up for this podcast and I hope I address those questions are right. If you have questions, comments, or you want to get angry at me about saying that mini breeds aren't there yet, um, or if you heard <laughs> the doodle thing, uh, you can always email me at goatdockcara at gmail.com. That's G-O-A-T-D-O-C-C-A-R-A at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at goat underscore doc 
um, and the website is goatdoc.com and you, there's a little contact tab on there if that's a way that you would like to get in touch. So I, th- I think that wraps it up for this episode. And if you have a second and you're enjoying the podcast and you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts, I really appreciate it. And it's keeping the, the goat search up on the, on the search charts on iTunes. So that's great. So more people can find the podcast and listen to me ramble on in my truck. That's going to do it for now. I'll talk to you guys next time.